That was hilarious. And also what happens when you just have too much time on your hands. <laughs> so good morning. I am Jeremy Pleasant. I'm the senior pastor here at the Vineyard Church. Just want to welcome you. Really glad you're here with us today. Um, before we actually get in, I want to spend some time to welcome my parents who are in town from Los Angeles. Raise your hand. And uh, um, this morning we were praying for the, the fires in Southern California, so I ask that you continue to pray for those who are affected by it. My parents were like, we're getting out of here. We're going to go hang out in Louisiana. And so um, so I'm, I'm happy to be back. I was in Colorado last week for our annual missions conference. Uh, let me tell you, there are some amazing things happening all over the world right now. Um, people are coming to Christ in droves. Communities are changing. And some, some exciting things that when we have some more time, I'll share some of those stories. But uh, just suffice to say, there's some great things happening. We had a, a, a huge time of, of training and, and prayer and development and just really seeing what God was doing kind of this next year. And uh, one, one of the highlights is actually where my, one of my friends leads in, in Cote d'Ivoire, uh, the Ivory Coast in West Africa. Um, there are 44 new churches there um, in, the last, in the last two years. And so it's, um, it's some really, really good stuff happening. So just I was really excited to be there. Um, the altitude was a little much this year for some reason. So I'm also good to be happy to be back. And, uh, but it was, a, it was a great time. And so um, we are finishing up the series this week. And uh, we've been in this series, uh, Spirit and Life, Embracing the power of an extravagant, extravagant God um, for the last six weeks. And um, so we've been, we've been looking at various ways to engage with the Spirit uh, and to make this power a regular part of our lives. And so over this time, we spent the first half kind of preparing ourselves, right? Looking at our identity, which is kind of the first and core part of this. In order to really fully embrace the Spirit of God, we have to understand who we are as sons and daughters of Christ, that we're not broken people put back together, but people who are made brand new in Christ and living out our new creation. That we have to understand and actually be able to experience the love of God, that his love for us is eternal, and that that is the foundation of everything we do. Because when we don't understand that, we end up trying to operate in order to earn God's love. And that just doesn't work out too well. And so we want to we we be in this place where we're able to just experience the love of God. That we want to wait for the Holy Spirit, which, you know, waiting is one of our favorite things to do in America. Said no one ever. <laughs> But Pastor Liz talks about, okay, what does it look like to actually wait? Because that's what Jesus told the disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait. And he told them in a way that was just like, wait, what? <laughs> like there was a lot happening and Jesus said, just wait, just wait. What teaches that no matter the circumstance, no matter what's going on, to be able to wait for the Holy Spirit is critical. And then we spent the second half looking at, okay, how do we actually be filled that what does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? What does that mean? And so we talked about that and we looked at that it requires a couple things, that it requires surrender, that it requires hunger, and it requires an openness. And then we learned how to hear the voice of God so that we can build each other up. 
And then last week, Lauren talked about faith, obedience, and risk. Because this stuff is, is it's, it's, it's risky. Um, what the, the founder of the, of the Vineyard Movement, John Wimber, he said, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And as we, as we engage with our gifts and as, as we engage with, with kind of being led by the Spirit, sometimes we're, we're going to be in these situations where we're like, I don't know if I should do this, right? But it's like, okay, I need to step out on this. I'm going to operate in faith because God responds to that. And we see things happen. Because it's actually not about what's kind of going on with us, but what God wants to do outside of us. And so as I remind you of these things, and of course you can check them out online, and and, and these things stick out for you, think about what God is doing in you, and what he has been doing in you these last few weeks, and what he's drawing you to. And as we end today, looking at gifts the Spirit gives us in the culmination of this series, one of the most popular sayings in the vineyard is everyone gets to play. Now, when I was in Colorado, I was at my friend's house and he had this mug for Vineyard USA and it says, everyone gets to play. I then proceeded to steal this mug because <laughs> it's one of my favorite things in the vineyard and one of the favorite things that, about our church that, that's really important. So we're gonna, we're gonna come back to that. It's, it's kind of part of our core, our Dina. We're gonna come back to that a little bit later. Um, but... It's critical because part of who we are becoming is developed by doing what God is doing. As we join God in that, it it changes us and it changes those around us. So today we're going to look at the what, why, and how of spiritual gifts because we already know the who. The who is all of us. So let's look at this parable in Matthew 25. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who was living on a trip. He called his servants and handled his possession, and, and handed his possessions over to them. To one he gave five valuable coins, and to another he gave two, and, and to another he gave one. He gave to each servant according to that servant's ability. Then he left on his journey. After the man left, the servant who had five valuable coins took them and went to work doing business with them. He gained five more. In the same way, the one who had two valuable coins gained two more. But the servant who had received the one valuable coin dug a hole in the ground and buried his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The one who had received five valuable coins came forward with five additional coins. He said, Master, you have given me five valuable coins. Look, I have gained five more. His master replied, Excellent. You are a good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I'll put you in charge of much. Come celebrate with me. The second servant also came forward and said, Master, you gave me two valuable coins. Lord, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done. You are a good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll put you in charge of much. Come and celebrate with me. Now the one who had received one valuable coin came and said, Master, I knew that you are a hard man. You harvest grain where you haven't grown sown. You gather crops where you haven't spread seed. So I was afraid, and I hid my valuable coin in the ground. Here, you have what's yours. In the remainder of this parable, we find out that the master isn't happy with his last servant. And so there's some important things to learn about this parable, but there's also a danger 
and, and it's happened a lot kind of within the church, the danger is that we look at something like this and think that the Christian life is about performance and that God is standing waiting to see who the best is. I know I've had that, I had that picture of God for a while. So in college, so if, if you know any, if, if you majored in music or you know any, this is going to sound familiar to you, but in college and in music part, we have this thing called juries, okay? And at the end of the semester, what they do it's, it's like the culmination, so they give you this very difficult piece, okay? And so you're standing in this large performance hall, and then there's a row of the entire department staring at you while you play this piece, waiting to see what, how well you're going to do it, and more importantly, what you're not going to do well. <laughs> I remember one time I, I, I played this piece called the Charlier, and I just like, I nailed every piece of it. I was on it. And one of them said, hey, you, um, that one note right there, yeah, you missed that. It was just like, it was, it was, it was so anxiety-driven because, I mean, that's what it was. Every semester you had these juries with these people waiting to judge you and, and tell you what was wrong. You ever felt like that with God? That he was just waiting to see how you're going to mess up? What you're going to do wrong? That's not God. That's actually not how he operates. And that's actually not what's happening in this parable. Now, we're not going to spend this morning interpreting this parable. Instead, we're going to look at the main parts of it that Jesus was communicating to the disciples and what he's saying to us, and we're going to look at the primary principles of this. The principle here is that God has given all his disciples something. He's given us all gifts, some gift of some kind. And he's given it so that we can invest in it, so that we can get better at it, so that we can pursue it He wants us to use it, and he wants us to use it to benefit us and to benefit humanity. One of the key things we learn from this parable is that some people have more gifts than others. Some, you know, gave one five, gave one two, gave one one, right? Some gifts have more than others. This is why the comparison game is not the game to play. Do you know what I'm talking about with this comparison game? You know, we kind of look around like, man, this person is just like really good. I wish I was as good as they are. Or I wish I could do that. How come I don't have that? Man, that is, that is, a, that is not a good game to play. And, and, and I've played it, right? I remember, so, I mean, com- coming back to this college story, right? You know, in high school, yeah, when it came to, when it, when it came to music and ball, I was, I was top dude on campus, right? You get to college, you're like, oh, everyone was top <laughs> at their schools. I'm not better than anyone here. <laughs> And you start looking around, and you're like, oh, man, he can really do that well. I wish I could do that. Oh, man, he's, he's, he's really good. Oh, man, she is amazing. And all of a sudden, you're like, who am I? What am I? What, what do I have to offer? There's a guy that I play with named JP from New Orleans. This dude was so good, it didn't even make sense. Like, he didn't have to practice. He just showed up and was just good. And you're like, this just ain't right. <laughs> it's not fair. I have to practice six hours a day, and I'm not even as good as he is. But that's not what God is looking for. That's not what, what he cares about. He has given each of us a gift, and so he's saying, come and use it. Dr. Martin, King, Martin Luther King said, if God has called you to be a street sweeper, sweep the streets. Sweep them so well that all the angels of heaven will look and say, there, 
right there is a good street sweeper. It's also not about perfection or, or who's the best. When we operate in that mode, we miss the point, and we can end up not using the gifts in the way God intended. And so instead of having this kind of world's way of rank and who's best, we can actually find contentment because the reality is one thing you learn is that there is always someone better. And so when you do that, it's just like, how can you ever be content? Like, it's, it's not really possible. But we can actually find contentment in what we've been given because it's not about us. It's about God's choosing. You know, I've always been fascinated by, like, certain athletes and their ego. You know? Like, they're just like, I'm sorry, Cowboys fans, but, like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but, like, Terrell Owens, okay? Y'all remember Terrell Owens? Like, like the ego is like, dude, you're 6'4", 250 pounds with 1% of body fat. You didn't earn that. You were born with that. Like, there were just certain genes that made you that good. How do you have this ego, right? It's like there's just certain things that, like, God gives us. I remember... Um, so this was, I think, in 2000, uh, the Lakers and the Nets were playing in the championship. And uh, this is when Shaq and Kobe were on the Lakers. And uh, we're just dominating the Nets. We, I'm a Lakers fan. It's okay. You'll be all right. Um, so, we were dom- so we were dominating the Nets. And after one press conference, uh, the coach of the Nets, uh, Bar- ah, I can't remember his name right now, um, he was like, you know, can y'all make me Shaquille O'Neal? He was like, I don't have a Shaquille O'Neal. Mr. and Mrs. O'Neal, can you make me a seven-foot center, please? Because I don't have one. There are things that are just natural, right, that some people have and some people don't. But like in, our, in, in, in the world's way, it's just like we place a value on, on who has what. And God's way, he's like, no, you're all my beloved. Just go and be and do what I've called you to do. God gives us these gifts because of his grace, not because we have earned it. That really takes the pressure off, or at least it should. And it's how God's kingdom operates. See, when it comes to like serving and and using our gifts, like we we forget that life in the church is actually not about being miserable. (laughs) Like some people like somewhere along the line, we're like, oh, you're a Christian. That sucks, <laughs> right? It's not about do this, don't do that. You should be this. Oh, no, you can't be that. That's not what it's about. Yes, there are challenges, let me tell you. Absolutely. There is growth. Like, that is what we're called to do, and usually growth happens by fire. I, I mean, it's, it's the way it is. But, I mean, that's where it gets hard. Not in, not in these things that, like, the do, don't do, all that kind of stuff. Life in the church is about life. Like, if there's any place, you may not get it anywhere else in the world, if there's any place you can express fully how God has designed you, it's in the church. Serving and using our gifts brings us utter joy. And as we pursue them and invest and use them, God will expand our opportunities and our proficiency in them. The principle here is not about striving. Right, like that's, again, we're, you know, looking at, you know, 
Worldly kingdoms, kingdom of God. Worldly kingdoms, strive, earn. Kingdom of God, no, you don't have to strive. You, get, you, you improve. You get better. We don't strive. And so the other thing that this parable teaches us in that last part, the, 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 the master took everything from the servant. And so have you heard the phrase, use it or lose it? Right? It's, it's a popular phrase. So when I uh, was in Southern California, uh, I grew up around um, uh, a, high, um, a high majority of, uh, of Latinos. And so a lot of my friends were from uh, Mexico and Central America. And uh, I studied Spanish, but I also began to uh, speak Spanish. And I, I could speak pretty well. I mean, I could, I could get around just about anywhere. And then I moved to Louisiana 12 years ago. <laughs> And where at the time, the, the Latino population was like two. So I didn't use my Spanish at all. I had no, I, I had no one to use it with. And so it was just, I, I lost so much of it because I couldn't practice it. It's like, yeah, I still remember, you know, syntax and grammar and all that kind of stuff. But because I wasn't practicing, I couldn't speak it as well, you know. And now that our Latino population is growing again in Baton Rouge, I'm like trying to get back into speaking Spanish well again, and no, it's not, let me tell you. <laughs> but, but we're getting there, we're getting there. You know, same thing with our muscles, right? If, if we don't use them for an extended, period of, an extended period of time, what happens? They atrophy, right? They actually lose their function. So this parable isn't about fear or, 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 or condemnation, nothing like that, which has been used <laughs> way too many times. It's about understanding this principle. It's like when we don't use what God has given us, it atrophies. So let's use them. The idea here is to not let fear stop us from pursuing the path God has called us to. This last servant in this parable was afraid of losing everything. And guess what? He lost everything anyway. Often we're afraid to engage in the way God has designed us to because we're afraid. We're afraid of failure. We're afraid of mediocrity. We're afraid of losing. How much are we missing out on because of this fear? When even in failure, there can be joy because we at least tried. You know how I know? Look at St. Peter, our beloved St. Peter. Ain't no one of the disciples failed as much as Peter failed. <laughs> I guarantee and Jesus is like, hey, Peter, you feed my sheep. You feed my lambs. I'm sending you to tell people about me. There is no failure that is fatal. We don't have to fear mediocrity or, or any of these other things. We just have to go. When Pastor Liz preached in a series a few weeks ago, she spoke about God giving good gifts to those who ask. That's the thing. They are good gifts. And that's what we have to start to see it as, not a threat, but hey, these are good gifts. God gives us good things for us. Like we get, so part of the problem is when we start operating in ways that we think we're supposed to do, but actually God didn't give us the gift to operate into. 
You know what I'm saying? And so when we are trying to do things because we think we're supposed to do them, but they're actually not the way God has designed us or the gifts he's given us, yeah, that is miserable. And so we can pull back from that. And so these good gifts are also not about your job. Now, you can use your gifts in your job, absolutely. But we've made this correlation, and I don't know when or, or where or why, but we've made this correlation that we, our gifts have to be 100% fulfilled in the job we choose or in the job we take. That's just not the case, nor has it ever been in the history of the church. We use the gifts we've been given just however we can use them. My gifts extend beyond my official position of clergy in the Vineyard Church. And so it is also my responsibility not to just to do my job well here and to use the gifts I've been given here in this role, but to use the gifts God has given me beyond that. Let's look at Romans 12. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things. Well, so if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take that responsibility seriously. And if you have the gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. One of my favorite stories in scriptures in the Old Testament, King Saul, who was the first king of Israel, is, is being tormented. Um, and so he calls in, so he's being tormented by, by, by evil spirits. And so he calls in David. And David uses his musical gift and plays the harp. And Saul's torment ceases. And he is at peace again. Can you imagine? Like what it would be like to actually use our gift in someone to experience peace? To use whatever God has given you in someone to experience God's love? That's, that's what's possible here. All right, let's look at the scripture in Ephesians. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Now, somewhere in the early part of the millennium, 300, 400, we created this line between clergy and lady, between pastor and church member. And that line was, oh, they do all the, they, they do all the work, they do all the ministry, and, and we just come check it out and, 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 and see what happens. But what we see here 
is that God gave the leaders the responsibility of equipping everyone because everyone is responsible for building up God's church. So going back to that, everyone gets to play. I want to give you a little history on that, just a little bit. One of the reasons that this guy Wimber I was telling you about became so popular is because he was like, hey, we can all do this ministry stuff. That no one is disqualified from it. As a matter of fact, everyone should be doing it. And he said, look, there are no superstars. So again, that whole value system I talked about, he's like, no, 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 no. Get rid of that. There are no superstars, which is really fascinating because if there was any superstar in this, and I mean, you're, and we're talking church history here in the last 50 years, if there's any superstar, he was actually a superstar. And he said, no, it's not about me. There are no superstars. Everyone is doing this. We're all getting in this. So I'm going to train you how to do it and let's go. And often what he would do is that he would bring some, someone up like who's just kind of just getting into it. And at like some big conference, and he was like, okay, well, I've trained you how to do this. Goodbye. <laughs> and we just leave them hanging in front of a thousand people to do what he trained them to do. And I'm not like saying he was leaving and like went behind the curtain. He went home. <laughs> he went to the hotel. He was a master of equipping people and training people and releasing them. Because we all get to be in it. The clergy equips the lady, not does all the work. The ministry is for all of us. Everyone does God's work to equip God's people to do God's work. So I used to officiate basketball and, and football and baseball. And I, I did everything from little league to, to high school. Um, and um, one of the, my, the most fun games were the high school games. Um, the most hilarious games were the Little League games, where I had just, like, just the most fun. And um, so in Little League, they have a few extra rules. And one of those rules is everybody has to play. All 10 kids. No one, you, you can't bench anyone. And it was always funny because we get to that quarter where, like, they had a sub in, that kid that just wasn't that good. And you have, like, those super competitive coaches that are like, I don't want to put him in. I'm like, Coach, you have to. He's seven. Really doesn't matter who wins right now. I know, but it really doesn't matter. You know, that same coach that keeps the score in his head even though they're not actually keeping score. He's like, it's 84 to 12. I'm like, no one knows that. No one needs to know that. Just Because everyone has to play. It is the rule. I mean, can you imagine if in a game it was the coaches who played and the players who sat on the bench? Yeah, everyone's like, oh, yeah, that would not be good. <laughs> but that's what we've done, right? No, the coaches are on the sideline. It's the players that play. The difference between those little league teams and us is that not everyone has to play. Not everyone has to do this. But everyone needs to play. We all have a choice 
But we, when we all step into the game, the church is built up. The community is encouraged and lives change. Everyone needs to play. People are hurting. People are dying. People are in chains. And God wants the pain to stop. God wants people to be free. And guess what? He decided that he was going to use us to do it. So, uh, I always like to have fun with, like, churchisms. You know, one of my favorite churchisms is, you know, I'll, I want to be a witness. You know, it's just one of those, if you've been in the church a long time, you know that phrase, right? Like, I'm, I'm a witness, you know. And it's one of those things where it means um, I'm sharing my faith. And that's great. And there's a time for that. But, but, but what if this, this so-called witness occurred in a different way? What if we were a witness by using the gifts we've been given towards others, expressing the extravagant love of God and demonstrating his power and care. What if that was our witness? Anybody ever heard of uh, Jackie Pullinger? So she is a legendary missionary uh, who's worked in Hong Kong for several decades. Uh, she, she lived and worked in this place called the Walled City. It is one of the most difficult places to live. And you can look it up. And... But what we saw and what, what she saw in her ministry and just in her life there, because she, she lived life there, is that the hardest people, and I'm talking about the hardest core people you have ever met, came to Christ. And they came because they're like, I believe there is a God because of the way you love. Because of the way you serve. Because of the way you have given for us your life. And after several decades, she still lives there and, and still does the work. But something she said which, which really sticks with me. She says, go first with your feet and then with your words. Go first with your feet and then with your words. That in witnessing to people, we use compassion and mercy and our gifts to reflect the grace and mercy of God. See, that's the purpose in all of this. See, too often, kind of, we've kind of gone to the other side. We've made it about the gifts, that they've become the end. And that's not what it's about. God says those will pass away. <laughs> that's that's going to go away. We're using, that's just for now. They are the means and not the end. We use the gifts to a point. That point to express the love of God. We need to use them, but not put them in a higher place than they should be. Because this also happens when we place the gifts above our character development. But everything needs to be in its place. They must go hand in hand or we don't invest in it properly and it can, and it can cause some more problems. <clears throat> so Lauren last week encouraged us to step out in faith and obedience to the call before us. And so as we engage with our gifts, it's going to take both. 
But as we do that, we find life, contentment, joy, and purpose. All right, let's look at a couple practical tips. Number one, spend time this week reflecting on how fear has kept you from engaging and pursuing your gifts. Ask God to help you confront that fear and with his grace to pursue what he's calling you to do. Number two. Our spirit and life night is this week. You've heard it already. Plan to attend. There's going to be a lot of opportunities to be filled, to be refilled, and to discern. That's the thing, is that we have this time to discern with the community how God wants you to pursue your gifts. It's also a time and a space to experience God's love in abundance. And for many, that's a struggle And so there's going to be a lot of space for that because he so desires for us to know that first and foremost because it's a catalyst to all of this and makes it so we're not performing or striving or trying to make things happen, but operating in his mercy. See, when we're not operating in his mercy, and like I've done this, that's why I know this, when you're not operating in his mercy, I'm making it happen. And that's exhausting. And it's like, hey, it might work, it might not. (laughs) And it's just like, what are we doing? When I'm operating in his mercy, when it's not about talent or, or how hard I've worked or any of those things, it just happens because he wants it to happen, because I'm willing to step out in faith. And oftentimes I haven't. I've, I've missed the boat. I've messed up. And I feel so bad. And he's like, no, no, no. It's okay, son. I still love you. I'm still here. Let's try again. No one is ever too far gone. No one has ever failed too much. Like that song we sing, Reckless Love, like leaves the 99 for the one. Like who does that? God does that. All right, number three come to the Engage Your Gifts class. Even if you know your gifts, this class will be important. There will be discovery, training, and ministry connections so that we can move in this together, so that we're all doing this, so that we're all engaged in this. And so that whatever, if you are experiencing any kind of fear, you have the community around you to help push you through it. You know what I mean? All right, let's stand. In 1 John, it says, there is no fear in love. That perfect love casts out all fear. So we seem to have this this either or thing right now. The more love we experience from God, the less fear we have. The more fear we have going on in our lives, the less we're experiencing God's love. He doesn't love us less, it's just the less that we're experiencing that we can comprehend in that moment. I said this when we did the series on communion. 
But when they would celebrate the Passover and they would give the bread, the priests would hold the bread and say, Behold, the love of God for you. And so whatever fear is in your life right now, whatever, whatever shame you're experiencing, come to the table to experience God's love this morning. And so we practice open communion here at the vineyard. If you want to experience that love, if you're feeling compelled to meet Jesus at the table, we want to welcome you to meet him at the table this morning. And so we have two stations at the front and one at the back. So let's come, partake, let's worship, and let's meet with God.